Recently on Seek Search, we asked the uncomfortable question, why are there so many differing denominations and claims of faith in Jesus? Are the different teachings and practices all based on the truth of God? How could it be? And we started to consider the expectation God has that we not merely claim Jesus as our Lord, but that we truly submit to the will of the Father. Why? Because that's exactly what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 7, 21 through 23. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many mighty works in your name? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. We need to take these words very seriously. And the words just before this, in verses 13 and 14, where Jesus said, Enter through the narrow gate, for wide is the gate and broad is the road that leads to destruction, and many enter through it. But small is the gate and narrow the road that leads to life, and only a few find it. We need to be seeking and searching to find the narrow way that leads to life and avoid the destruction that so many go after. Well, we need to keep in mind what Peter said about how we should avoid heading toward destruction. In 2 Peter chapter 3, Peter is talking about and makes reference to Paul and his writings. And in the midst of his discussion, he said, his letters, Paul's letters, contain some things that are hard to understand, which ignorant and unstable people distort, as they do the other scriptures, to their own destruction. Therefore, dear friends, since you have been forewarned, be on your guard so that you may not be carried away by the error of the lawless and fall from your secure position, but grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. So how do we start to discern the truth of God's word in contrast to the twisting of it, which would lead us to destruction? Well, one thing we can do is learn from Jesus's correction of false doctrinal approaches by the religious leaders when he was here on the earth. We should not be like either the Pharisees or the Sadducees. So let's search the scriptures together and learn what Jesus says not to do. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Seek Search. I'm your host, John Bingham, and I'm grateful for our time together. Thank you so much for listening. I hope it will be a blessing for you. In Romans 10, verses 1 through 3, Paul says, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. For I bear them witness that they have a zeal for God, but not according to knowledge. For they, being ignorant of God's righteousness, and seeking to establish their own righteousness, have not submitted to the righteousness of God. Well, that description of his fellow Jews could be a description of us who have a zeal for God today. 
are we truly zealous of God's righteousness or in our zeal, are we simply creating our own definition or following someone else's definition of righteousness separate from what is true? We've got to have a proper knowledge of what God truly wants. Well, let's remember the source of truth and God's righteousness. Paul told Timothy in 2 Timothy 3, 16 and 17, all scripture is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be complete, thoroughly equipped for every good work. So will we search the scriptures to make sure that they are the ones informing us of true doctrine and reproving us and correcting us and instructing us in what is God's righteousness? As Paul told Timothy in the previous chapter, be diligent to present yourself approved to God, a worker who does not need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth. That's what we have to be about. And one of the reasons why this is important is that we may feel like we're doing things to be pleasing to God. And yet, what if we call him Lord, but we're not actually doing the will of the Father? We may feel like we have a good conscience in trying to serve God in good ways. And yet, let's consider the example of Paul and how he describes himself. In Acts 23 and verse 1, Paul ended up saying, Men and brethren, I have lived in all good conscience before God until this day. Well, think about that. Paul was previously Saul of Tarsus, who was so zealous for God that he thought he was pleasing God when he was persecuting Christians. And yet, Paul says, I did it in good conscience. I did it thinking I was serving God, but it wasn't having a zeal that had been informed with proper knowledge. And therefore, he was the greatest of sinners against God. So, Feeling good about our conscience is not enough. We've got to make sure our conscience truly is guided by the truth from God. Are we zealous for what is true and righteous according to God's word? Or are we zealous but without actual knowledge of what God has instructed us? Again, these are not comfortable questions, but we have to examine ourselves to see if we are true to him. So let's dive into considering the reproof and correction Jesus delivered to the religious leaders when he walked the earth. First, we should note that in Matthew 16, Jesus warned the disciples to beware of the leaven of the Pharisees and Sadducees. The teachings and influence of both of those groups were actually very different from each other. They were different parts of extremes that were away from the truth of God. But Jesus said that both of those dominant strains of religious thought and influence were wrong, and neither one of them were going to lead to the true righteousness of God. First, let's consider the Sadducees. 
The philosophy of the Sadducees did not truly respect God's revealed word in the Old Testament scriptures. They weren't thinking of them as fully accurate or fully authoritative. They were dismissive of significant aspects of God's word, typically downplaying any of the old accounts of miracles. And thus, by extension, they also denied the idea of there being a resurrection of the dead. Such a dismissive attitude of God's supernatural ability and setting aside claims of God's word enabled them to rationalize whatever they wanted to incorporate in the modern culture that they lived in and set aside the rest. That mindset still exists today. There's nothing new under the sun. There are a number of mainline denominations that have long drifted away from a proper respect for the truth that is found in God's word. And so, just like the Sadducees, there are a number who question or otherwise deny the miracles of Jesus. They question whether Jesus made some of the statements written in the New Testament, and they question much more severely other authors of New Testament books, setting aside what they don't want to believe. And as a result, they now have arguments to approve of lifestyles that the Bible declares to be sin, whether it be living in fornication, whether it be entering into adulterous relationships, whether it be entering into homosexuality. There is an embrace of all of these aspects of the cultural norm today because there is a disrespect and dismissal of the scriptures. Well, that is the Sadducees' way of looking at things. What did Jesus think of their approach to the scriptures? Let's look at the sharp rebuke that Jesus delivers in Matthew chapter 22. In Matthew 22, starting in verse 23, the Sadducees come because they don't believe there is a resurrection, and they present this scenario. And they say, well, now, wait a minute. Moses said that if a man dies having no children, that his brother should marry his wife and raise up offspring for his brother. And then they said, well, here was this scenario where one brother had a wife, but they had no children. He died. And then the second brother takes her as wife to bring about children for the first brother, but they don't have children. He dies, and he, the next one dies, and the next one dies. Seven brothers have this woman as wife, and there is no heir. So the conundrum that the Sadducees think would be very effective is verse 28. Therefore, in the resurrection, whose wife of the seven will she be? For they all had her, and they think they've really stumped and maybe they have really stumped other people, but they think they're going to stump Jesus with this hypothetical. Let's pause to consider that mindset. You know, that's the same mindset that the atheist or the agnostic may have in questioning whether or not there could be an all-powerful God. You know that old silly question of, wait a minute, if God is all-powerful, can he create a rock that is so heavy he can't lift it? And they think they've got a paradox going on such that 
either he's all powerful, but wait a minute, now he can't lift it. Or if he can't create a rock that's so heavy he can't lift it, then he's not all powerful in that way. And they think that's called wisdom. That's not wisdom. That is trying to undermine truth about God. And that's all the Sadducees were interested in, was trying to undermine a truth about God rather than taking God and his things and the idea of heaven and the idea of the resurrection as seriously as they could. And so that Sadduceical, I've just made up a word, that mindset needs to be addressed. How does Jesus answer that? Verse 29, Jesus answered and said to them, you are mistaken, not knowing the scriptures nor the power of God. Ouch. Such a rebuke is perfectly pitched for the Sadducees of that day and the skeptics of today. Any, not just the atheists or the agnostics, but also those who are mildly religious, but discount and discredit the miracles of the Bible or discount and discredit whether or not God Almighty would have the ability to preserve his scriptures for us today. And so anyone who doesn't take the Bible as seriously as the Bible tells us to simply needs to repent of this type of an attitude. We must fully respect God. And if we fully understand and respect the power of God, then we will fully respect his word and take it very seriously. Notice that Jesus continues to correct their argument by saying this, for in the resurrection, they neither marry nor are given in marriage, but are like angels of God in heaven. But concerning the resurrection of the dead, have you not read what was spoken to you by God saying, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. God is not the God of the dead, but of the living. So what did Jesus do? Jesus actually said, if you paid attention to reading carefully God's word, you would recognize this one word, this tense of the verb. And you would say, wait a minute, because God didn't say, I was the God of Abraham, but instead God said, I am the God of Abraham. That present tense of that verb means Abraham still lives. There is a resurrection. So we can't be like the Sadducees and dismiss the Bible and not pay much attention to it. Rather, we have to rightly handle the word of truth, even when it means properly applying the tense of a verb. Now, let's turn to Jesus' view of the Pharisees. It's interesting to note that Jesus did not spend a lot of time dealing with and addressing the fundamentally unserious religious nature of the Sadducees, but he did have a lot to say about the more seriously religious scribes and Pharisees. Their zeal for God was strong in some directions, but way off balance from what God actually intended. And so there are certain warnings about the Pharisees 
that we need to learn from so we don't follow after their errors. In the time we have remaining, let's look at a couple of the main concerns that Jesus talks about regarding the Pharisees. In Matthew chapter 5, verse 20, Jesus plainly declares, For I say to you that unless your righteousness surpasses that of the scribes and Pharisees, you will not enter the kingdom of heaven. Now that was striking to the people of that time because the scribes and the Pharisees were the ones most zealous and interested in trying to enforce what they were saying was God's will from the old law. And yet Jesus demonstrates in the rest of chapter 5 a contrast. Now, sometimes you might read this quickly, and because there are quotes of the Old Testament, you think, wait a minute, was Jesus correcting the old law of Moses and saying it's no longer the old law, it is um, this new thing separate from the old law? Actually, no. He didn't say, it was written, but I say. What he said is, you have heard but I say. And so you have heard from where? From those who were the teachers, the scribes and the Pharisees who were interpreting Moses's law, and yet their level of righteousness and teaching was insufficient, was totally off base compared to the righteousness of God. And so in a number of different topics for the rest of chapter 5, Jesus corrects the false narratives of the scribes and Pharisees when they would quote the Old Testament law. One, for instance, is when Moses had granted the possibility of divorce, and there's a quote about verse 31, whoever sends his wife away, let him give her a certificate of divorce. Well, the scribes and Pharisees latched onto that and took it to an extent where you could divorce for any reason. In fact, Jesus's answer here is elaborated on a lot more in Matthew chapter 19, where the Pharisees had asked, testing Jesus all the more, saying, can we divorce for any reason? What we need to understand is there's nothing new under the sun. And there are so many religious people today who have watered down God's will about marriage such that they look a lot like the Pharisees. They are not upholding the gospel, the truth of Christ. Because Jesus ended up saying, but I say to you that everyone who divorces his wife, except for the reason of unchastity or sexual immorality, makes her commit adultery. And whoever marries a divorced woman commits adultery. And he goes on to describe it once again in Matthew chapter 19, in which he says, whoever divorces his wife except for immorality and marries another woman commits adultery. That is God's standard. That is the standard of our Lord Jesus Christ. And yet there are many denominations who will not touch that truth and will not uphold that truth. But instead, those denominations are like the Pharisees who ended up giving an explanation that said, you can divorce for any reason 
and God will approve of your new marriage. No, if you divorce for most any and every reason and you marry someone else, you have entered an adulterous relationship. And a test of congregations today, whether they are of Christ or of men, is whether they are loose with the marriage law or they teach the Lord's marriage law. Well, that's just one illustration of how we need to not be like the Pharisees and rewrite and make our own um, loose judgments, loosening the truth of the law of God. In fact, it's interesting that when Jesus was talking about we've got to have a righteousness much stronger and higher than the righteousness of the scribes and Pharisees. He talks himself about how much he respected God's word, the old law at that point, and was not going to tolerate it being violated in any big way whatsoever. Matthew chapter 5 verses 17 through 20 leads into and concludes with his statement about the Pharisees. See how much Jesus respected God's word. Do not think that I came to abolish the law or the prophets. I did not come to abolish, but to fulfill. For truly I say to you, until heaven and earth pass away, not the smallest letter or stroke shall pass from the law until all is accomplished. Now, he did accomplish all of it, but he was saying very adamantly, not a single thing of the law should be set aside or ignored. He was so respectful of God's word. Whoever then annuls one of the least of these commandments and teaches others to do the same shall be called least in the kingdom of heaven. But whoever keeps and teaches them he shall be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Jesus emphasized keeping and teaching God's word. And then he said, if you're doing it like the scribes and Pharisees, you're nowhere close to the kingdom. Because the scribes and Pharisees were rewriting it with all sorts of traditions of the elders and all sorts of explanations that altered what the truth actually was. Now, another aspect that we need to be aware of is Matthew 23, 23. And I've made reference to this before about the balance that is shown there. But I want to show it to you from two perspectives briefly. Jesus says, Woe to you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites! For you tithe mint and dill and cumin and have neglected the weightier matters of the law, justice and mercy and faithfulness. But these are the things you should have done without neglecting the others. The biblical balance that Jesus taught was that the Pharisees sometimes were so particular about every nth detail. In fact, they had extra rules and regulations that they wrote in in order to try to hedge about how to keep the Sabbath and different things like that. And so Jesus said, you're so focused on some of the minute details that you have totally missed the big picture and you don't understand anything about justice. You don't understand anything about mercy and faithfulness. And in other places, they talk about love. And so Jesus says, you've got to have these big picture ideas of 
God's justice and God's mercy and how we're supposed to have mercy with each other and faithfulness. But he didn't say, therefore, focus on those things and don't worry about the commandments. No, Jesus respected the commandments as well. And that's why he said, you shouldn't be neglecting the big things and you shouldn't be neglecting the commands of God either. That's the balance as opposed to being pharisaical and getting out of balance where you are missing the big picture in some way. Or as we'll see in Matthew chapter 15, you're replacing the commandments of God with the commandments of the elders or the traditions of men and getting things all out of whack. Matthew 15 verses one through nine say, then some Pharisees and scribes came to Jesus from Jerusalem and said, why do your disciples break the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. And he answered and said to them, why do you yourselves transgress the commandment of God for the sake of your tradition? For God said, honor your father and mother, and he who speaks evil of father or mother is to be put to death. But you say, whoever says to his father or mother, whatever I have that would help you has been given to God, he is not to honor his father or his mother. And by this, you invalidated the word of God for the sake of your tradition. You hypocrites, rightly did Isaiah prophesy of you, this people honors me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. But in vain do they worship me, teaching as doctrines the precepts of men. So this contrast couldn't be clearer that the Pharisees had a lot of extra traditions above and beyond and outside of what God really was calling for. Some of them were rather innocuous about whether or not you washed your hands at a particular time, but other ones brought people directly in conflict with commandments of God. And we got to be careful not to become directly in conflict with what God's word has said and just totally replace it with our own traditions. That's where so much denominationalism and so many differing doctrines in the name of Christ come from. It's not all from the Bible. It's all from various traditions that have been crafted beyond what the Bible actually says. And we can't be part of that. As one quick illustration as our time is closing, please look at 1 Timothy 4 verses 1 through 5. That right there is a, an explicit concern where Paul says there's going to be a falling away from the faith. And a couple of the key things that are going to be done is that there will be a religious tradition that forbids people to marry. And there will be religious tradition about making people abstain from foods that God's created for us to enjoy. Think about that. Are there any religious traditions where some people are not allowed to ever marry? Are there religious traditions where the whole congregation is called to enter into an abstinence from certain foods at certain times of the year? Those things are not part of the Bible. In fact, the Bible warns and says those will be some things that are happening when religious people are departing from the true faith. And so let us 
consider ourselves and make sure that we are seeking the commandments of God, not contradicting them by following after the traditions of men. Well, that wraps up our time for today. May we seek God and seek his things and seek his ways by searching the scriptures. Thank you so much for listening. I hope it was a blessing for you. You have been listening to Seek Search. I'm your host, John Bingham. You can contact me by emailing seeksearch at yahoo.com. Feel free to ask a question, make a comment, or request lesson one of our Bible correspondence course. On Facebook, get connected by liking the Seek Search page. I hope you'll join me each Saturday at noon for the next edition of Seek Search.